For the month of November, I think it's only fitting as I get older to appreciate the holidays more and more. Um, as a kid, Thanksgiving is just a mere road bump on the way to Christmas. Um, the food is certainly good, right? But it's not really important. Uh, as I have gotten older, my wife as well, we have really thought about how Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday in a lot of ways. They may not be in the church, it may not be necessarily a holiday that is presented in scripture, but as a holiday that we are called to do regularly, as a holiday that reminds us as Christians, we have so much to be thankful for. And so for this month, I want to be thinking of how those thankfulness interact with our lives, and how thankfulness is not simply a one-dimensional object, but it is like a diamond with many facets. And so for this week, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving through family obligations. Next week, we're going to go in spite of evil, being thankful. During the Thanksgiving week, we'll talk about being content and how that is a form of Thanksgiving. And then lastly, we're going to do a Thanksgiving through giving, which is important, I think, because one of the key convictions that we have as elders is we want to understand why we do tithes and offerings the way we do. Uh, we feel that's a vital um, Understanding that we want the church to have beyond just your body of elders. And so as I said this morning, we're talking about family obligations. So if you'll please turn to Romans 12, 12. We're going to read 10 through 13. I left off here with my last sermon series. And we're going to kind of review a little bit of those and look at how family obligations cause us to be thankful. So when you've turned to Romans 12, 10 through 13, please stand for the reading of God's word as we come together to be taught by the spirits. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Amen. You may be seated. Thanksgiving begins with our family obligations. Um, it is no secret to secular science that a person who is thankful is a much more happier person, a much more self-confident person, lots of less psychological distress. We can cover all those feel-good parts of Thanksgiving, and we can leave feeling like we have done something, right? We've, we've made ourselves feel better. But I want to point out that Thanksgiving comes out of a heart that is an obligation to others. And that is not easy. That is not simple and it is a lifetime of progress to do so. And so here we have Paul writing to us, and he points to that, the obligations we have to one another, the obligations the church has to be a thankful people. And so as people who call themselves believers, we should be thankful, because it shows three key things in our lives. A changed life. 
an eternal perspective on what is to come, the now and the not yet, and a commitment to the gospel here and now. So often the moments I am not thankful in my life, the moments I am angry, upset with what I have been going through in life and not praising God often stem from one of those three being out of balance. I'm not remembering that I am a changed creature in Christ, no longer a slave to the flesh. I forget that I live for all eternity with Christ and his fellow heirs. And I lose sight of my gospel commitment to them here and now with the people around me. So as we go through this today, those are the lenses with thankfulness I want you to be thinking through. That if you call yourself a Christian, you are committed to an eternal perspective of a changed life for the gospel's sake. Now, I say that it's a list of family obligations. We're going to go through these. If you have a pen and you prefer to mark up your Bible, you may do so. Um, I think there's ten things of family obligations that we're called to do in this section. And so I'm going to start with the first and go all through ten, and that will be the message this morning. So if you want to mark those next to your, in your Bible next to the verse, you certainly can. But I think these ten are things we need to be committed to daily and as a unit of believers, not just merely individuals, but as a unit, a church body called Redeemer Christian Fellowship. So the ten are, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give honor to one another, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. All of these are the obligations that the Christian undertakes when they come into faith and they come into community with other believers. This is not an optional list where you can pick and choose. I read a post recently and it really convicted me that the fact that the church is made up of people that you not necessarily would be wanting to be around, people that you would not have in your inner circle. The diversity of the church is actually makes it beautiful because it's taking people from all backgrounds, all walks, all ages, all cultures, all experiences, and says you will be a melting pot under Christ. You will be one body to service to him. And so we see this list as a way to remind ourselves of those obligations we have to one another in Christ. So look at the first one. <clears throat> Giving one another in brotherly love. The word here, brotherly love, is actually a hybrid word that Paul creates from the Greek. He uses phylos, which means friendly love, and storge, which means family love. He brings those two together, which are identically separate. Halloween just happened, right? Halloween is a good example of maybe you giving out candy to your friends, right? But Halloween, or when Christmas rolls around, I don't think many of you are going to invite me over to your house and have presents for me to open. Right? That's an example of family love and friendship love. But Paul is saying in the church, you actually bring these two together. Someone who was once a friend or someone of a stranger, you now see as family. You now connect to them and see them as important to your well-being and the body's well-being. We're called to love another as family, even though we're not. And so there's several verses that Jesus and apostles speak on this issue that points to this very radical notion of brotherly love. In the Gospel of John, verse 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all men will know you're my disciples, if you 
love one another. It's so easy, I think, in certain senses to get wrapped up in missions, to get wrapped up in sending the message to the broken, the lost, the dark areas of the world, and we completely miss the step where Jesus says, that also comes in unison with brotherly love. You will be known to all men by your love for one another. That is a powerful statement. It's a statement that even the world will reject in anger because they cannot understand that love. How can people of such diversity come together and profess to genuinely care for one another? John lays it out in his gospel by the mouth of Jesus. Men will know this if you have love for one another. In John's later epistle in 1 John 5.1, he says, Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Let that sink in for a little bit. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. There are challenging people to love. I am one of them. You are one of them. But your call to love me is I'm called to love you. Right? That is a powerful statement that John says. And a little bit earlier he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Brotherly love is evident. It's visible. It's something we're called to do. It's a wonderful reminder of the fact that we are different in so many ways. And there are many obstacles we have to overcome together. But these obstacles are minuscule in this pretense of what is to come for all eternity. That's one of the things I think that we sometimes get lost. We will worship with all the nations. It will be truly amazing to see Paul and people who throughout all eternity are there. But it is something unique in the sense that you and I will be in heaven together. We were connected in the now and we will be connected in the not yet. We will worship God together as Redeemer Christian Fellowship now and forever. And so John is pointing that out, and Paul picks up on that in his writing of Romans. Brotherly love. Love one another with brotherly love or brotherly affection. And it goes right into the next part. That to do that, there's action. So Paul has some action verbs for us, but then he's going to go back and talk about what that looks like mindset. But look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's our second one. Doing honor by giving honor to one another. Honor in this sense is not thinking highly of yourself. Is this easy to do in America? We're a very individualistic society. In this room, there's probably 30 people. If I made a poll and I said, where do you rank in the 30 people in this room in terms of how funny you are, how likable you are, how smart you are, how wise you are, how trustworthy you are, how important are, are you? Do you think you would rank yourself 30th? Now, obviously there's not this case where we want to have false humility, but I want to point out that we tend to think of ourselves pretty highly, right? In most of those lists, we find ourselves among our friends in the church in the top echelon of the people that we should be honoring as ourselves. We're pretty impressive. But we're not that impressive in the grand scheme of things when you think about what Paul is calling us to do here. I love that the way it's, it's writing. You want to be honored? 
outdo one another in showing honor. Do you want to be someone who, does, who is worthy of honor? Outdo other people in showing honor. Outdo those by giving to them, by loving them, by acting upon them. Go a few verses up to Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measures of faith that God has assigned. What a, what a powerful verse to remind us of to be gracious and honoring one another and knowing that there are struggles that people are going through that you're not aware of. There are things that we are struggling with that Paul calls us to love one another for. Again, verse 3. Or, yeah, excuse me. For by grace given me, I say to everyone on, among you, not to think more of himself highly than he ought to think. Right? Think about the parable that Jesus uses. You go to a fancy party, should you take the seat of honor? No. What seat should you take? A lesser seat. But notice, could Jesus have stopped there and it would have been a really good, feel good spiritual moment? Why does Jesus say you should take the lesser seat? Because if you're worthy of the honor, what's going to happen at the party? They're going to move you to the more important seat. So don't misunderstand that God is saying, just have false humility, just have false honor, right? Just think you're worth nothing, you're, you're not important. That's not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to honor one another, outdo one another, because in that way, everyone's honor in the church increases. Everyone's respect and love for each other increases. There are certainly men in this church and women in this church that are much more worthy of honor than I am because they've lived faithful lives in continuation of the gospel. So it's this wonderful picture that Jesus points to us and that Paul picks up on. Outdo honoring one another. Look to do those things that are important for the body. In Philippians 2, 3, it says, we are called to regard one another as more important than ourselves. So don't give flat praise, but show genuine interaction, appreciation, and admiration for one another. Point three, giving action instead of slothfulness. So looking back at Romans 12, 10, continuing, right? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. One of the things that the Reformation brought to Christendom and Christianity was this notion that there were not more holy jobs than other jobs. So, for example, I'm here preaching today. I'm quite holy compared to the guy who picks up the trash. That was a notion before the Reformation. Martin Luther really spoke to his barber about this. That if you're a barber, your act of service, your daily job has no less value or merit than the one who brings the word. And so as we see ourselves going forward, we want to remind ourselves that what you do is important. There are no necessarily moments off as a Christian. There's no time to be slothful or lazy, right? We're called to action, to give our lives as living sacrifices. The church isn't just about how you act on Sunday, but it's that moment when your spouse annoys you because they don't know where they want to eat dinner. It's your kids who have nagged you all day because they want something and you are not giving in. It's your neighbor who leaves his dog off the leash and you have to clean up after your neighbor's mess. It's your boss who blames you for things that you didn't do in your job that you did do. 
So often it's easy for us to check out. It's easy for us to say, this isn't a holy moment. This isn't a spiritual moment. I can be who I want to be. I can be fleshy. I can be carnal. There are no moments like that. Paul calls us to that. Do not be slothful in zeal. Are you zealous for the mission at hand? I, I love God because he deals with us in little and important places. Right? We live in Roswell, New Mexico. Some of you are much more important than me. But yet you, compared to the President of the United States or the owner of a famous football team or whatever position you want to think of as important, God doesn't say you don't matter. He says we all matter. Our lives here in Roswell make a difference. They are worth living and they're also to be called to account. Do not be slothful and zeal. For all people, whether they're believers or not, what happens at the end of the age? The white throne judgment. Is that just reserved for those who have rejected Christ? No. I and you will stand before God and answer for every moment that we've lived. Now, the the terrifying fact of that is there's a lot of moments I'm going to be called to for. There's a lot of moments that God is going to show his displeasure for me. The beauty of that, though, is I know at the end, Jesus says, I've paid for his wickedness. I've paid for his slothfulness. He is our son. So when we read this, be thinking of those things. Be thinking of the there is a time where you will answer. The, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be active in what you're doing going forward. Be a person who looks to seek moments to expand the kingdom, whether it's in your own marriage, your own family, your own church, and your own community. John 9.4, Jesus says, He must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. Later in Galatians, we read, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now the verse doesn't end there. It keeps the thought going, but it puts a comma, right? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Can you do a lot of good things and have the wrong motives behind them? Yes, right? And so that's why Christianity is so unique. It's not a religion that is based upon your actions. You don't merit anything by being a follower of Christ. Your work does not earn you salvation, right? The Bible says that your works are filthy rags when God views them. And so God looks at the heart, right? When Jesus talks about these things, he talks about lust, lying, adultery, hatred. He looks at the heart. We have to remind ourselves that the mind is where we start theology, where those go to our heart, and that theology is put on display in action for us. Hebrews 6, 8 through 10, if you'll turn there with me. Hold your place here, Romans. We will come back. Hebrews 6, 8 through 10. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There are two works you're doing every day when you wake up. You're either sowing for the gospel or you're sowing for the flesh. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Man, what a, what a powerful verse there, right? We're told every day you wake up, what you do matters. Every day you're either moving the gospel forward or you're being a hindrance to the gospel in your world around you. That's exhausting. It can happen. We get burnt out as life. We get burnt out dealing with our children, dealing with our spouse, dealing with other people. It happens in life. We are temporary beings in the sense that we are not eternal like God. And so we have a limited amount of free will. We have a limit, or excuse me, not free will, uh, strength of will, right? Your patience, turns out, is limited. You do not have an unlimited amount of patience. You grow weary in what you're doing. There are times you will be tired. You will not want to go forward to give up, to not fight the good fight. But here we are reminded, do not grow weary, because why? In due season we will reap. That is not just merely eternal, right? Think about some of the relationships, some of the things you've gone through in your life that have been challenging, and you're glad you stuck it out because you saw the fruit that was bared through it. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of God. The mindset has to come first, right? Don't grow weary. This isn't a command to be perfect, right? Remind yourselves that. God is not calling you to be a perfect believer every day waking up and doing everything perfectly. It's a reminder that you will fail. You will grow weary. But when you do, remind yourself of what is coming, what is being reaped, what is going on now and not yet. God is not done with us. By a long shot. We should be eager to have every opportunity because we have the mindset of understanding that we are fervent in our passion for the gospel, for Christ. Back to Romans. The next part, again, connection, serving the Lord. Listen to Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 24-29 as he talks about serving the Lord. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations that now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that he may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, for this toil, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Christ is what we ultimately work for. So when you're trying not to be slothful, when you're trying to be fervent in spirit, you have to remind yourself you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord for the things that you do. You put up with potentially a wicked boss because of Jesus. You put up with a struggling relationship in your marriage or your children because of Jesus. You put up with church members who offend or slander because of Jesus. We work to the Lord. This is what is so wonderful in the fact of the gospel. We don't just simply work to an idea, a goal. We're not um, people who just simply believe that there is a higher uh, presence, a higher goal in mind. 
We're not Unitarians in that sense. We work for a person who will sit with us at the marriage feast of the Lamb and will look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servants. What a powerful, powerful reason to continue in the faith. We serve a living God who will live with us forever. So don't be slothful and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Notice how these all kind of connect. They, they build off each other. The Christian faith, that's one thing I love about the faith, is sanctification is not merely a simple progression. It is a complex journey that leads you to become a deeper and more rounded person like Christ as you move forward in life. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And we covered these um, when I talked about them, but they're still so important today. Be helpful in hope. We have to sometimes remind ourselves, our hope is not immaterial. It's not an immaterial object. It is a living, breathing person. Christ is our hope. My hope is in that actual person who has rescued me from the grave. It is not in some mere idea. idea. It is not something that simply we can just wipe away with our hand. We will stand before our hope one day. He will be in front of us. We can reach out, fill the holes in his hands and on his side. Our hope is in him. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 states, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It would be pretty amazing if I just said, listen, you're working for a crown. Right? That's what you're working for. You're working for a crown. You're going to be applauded. People can recognize your service. Um, but notice who's in that verse. Right? The Lord, the righteous judge, is going to be there and hand us a crown. It's going to look like a, a little small trinket when he hands that to me because of who he is. But that's the beauty of it. It's, it's a relationship with Jesus. He's not far off. It's not him... Uh, just mailing it in and sending you a crown to the mail and saying, hey, congrats, right? It's him in the person being there. He is our hope. He will be there with us in the today, tomorrow, and forever. And perseverance, persevering to the end is a, is a struggle daily, right? I think that's why Paul is writing in this sense, don't be slothful, be fervent. Be rejoicing in hope because you will have tribulations. Tribulations are challenging. They're hard. They are, they are frustrating. They are energy sapping, right? They can almost lead us to a place of indifference at some points. We're like, I'm just over this. I don't even care anymore, right? Even though we know that's not a good place to be. We have to work through those moments of tribulation of when we're being persecuted as individuals and at the church as large. In Romans 2, a little bit earlier in the book, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we suffer in rejoicing. Not only suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God has been poured into our hearts, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It's really uncomfortable um, being persecuted. There's two forms in the Bible, if you're unaware. There is 
destruction and damnation, which God does to those who are wicked and repentant, and there's discipline he does to those whom he loves. We don't like discipline, right? We want as a comfortable, easy life as possible. Wrestling season for me has started, and so we're having tryouts. And I had a kid that uh, ran with Coach Vidal, and he told Coach Vidal, I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. This will be easy for me. He came out. He didn't come back. I figured he must have quit. He had a conversation with Coach Vidal. He said, it was too aggressive for me. Um, he wasn't ready to persevere in being pummeled. He wasn't ready to work through, oh, this is going to be a lot more challenging than I imagined. I thought I'd be able to come in, it'd be real easy, and it was much more challenging for them than he imagined. Um, unfortunately, we're a lot like that kid when it comes to life sometimes. We want to stomp our feet and say, God, did you not see what I've been through? What's coming up next is going to be easy. I, I can do this. Careful, Right? God is teaching us to be disciplined so that what? We may have faith. We may persevere. All the wonderful things, the truths that he points out in Romans 2. It builds that character within us. But so often we don't want to go through that character building. We don't want to persevere in tribulations. We just want to be comfortable. God is not calling us to life comfortability, right? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Why are you patient? Because you know you're building character. Because you know there will be other times when because you are humble and you have learned from what God has taught you, you can handle what's come through you. Or you can speak to someone's life and give them sound and wise and good wisdom as to how to move forward through that event. Be constant in prayer. As Colin pointed out last week, we have the greatest of mediators to whom we can speak. Jesus Christ himself hears us. The one who will give us a crown, the righteous judge, hears us us. What a wonderful and true statement. Notice though that the importance of prayer. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. In Acts chapter 6, we have the founding of the church. We have offices being instated. We have positions being clarified. And we have the position of deacon being made. Now, I don't know about you, but for all the reasons deacons were founded, this would not have been on my top five list. Acts 1 through 4. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you men, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. One of the key reasons that the deacons were formed in the hierarchy of church order was that the, so the elders could be men of prayer. That's how profound and serious it was to the, the, the apostles of Jesus. They needed to be in prayer. And to hinder them from prayer, from taking care of daily things, was an issue. And so often we tend to think of prayer as an afterthought. We're not constantly in prayer. We're only in prayer when it's crisis mode or thanksgiving mode, instead of it being a constant throughout our lives. But yeah, here we have the apostles saying, it's so important that we pray. We need men to take care of the things that are good. It is good that these men were going to take care of the uh, neglected Hellenist widows. It was good that they were serving. It's good that we have deacons. Right? I wouldn't say any church that doesn't have deacons, I'd be a little concerned with their theology and practice. But one of the main reasons that we have deacons, according to this, is so that we 
can pray as elders. That the elders should be men known for praying. And so that is a challenge to myself and the other elders. Are we men of prayer? Because it is called to be. But also in the grand text of Romans 12, 12, we see this is to the church whole, not just elders. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer for one another in the church. And 13, the last two that we have of the 10 obligations of the church. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. As we have talked about over and over, all these are called action, they're called a mindset, but all of them can only be filled into two groups, those who are within the church and those who are without the, without, outside the church. One of my favorite life verses is Acts 2.42, and it's a great one if, to encourage you to memorize. And it's talking about the early church. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. The church is called to look after one another, contribute to the needs of the saints. That is really hard in America. Right? We really don't like giving handouts to one another. Now, I'm not a communist, I'm not a socialist, I'm a capitalist, but in the church setting, are you generous with your money, or do you live as a hard and prudent capitalist who's gaining interest on his money? It's not easy for us to think through, but we're called to do those things. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, Paul instructs Timothy to tell the rich, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, right? Thinking they're better than other people. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's easy to get caught up in the markets. It's easy to get caught up in Bitcoin or the index or what can I invest in my 401k? How can I ensure that I have wealth to come for myself and generations. But Paul calls us to be uncomfortable. They are to do, continuing verse 18, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We live in the most rich country, in the most rich period of all human history. There's not a single person in this room that can say they've lived potentially through a famine. We all have had moments of hardship, no arguing there, but I would say we have not lived through the hardships as our generations before us. We've not known comfort like generations before us. Um, we are rich, all of us in this room, very rich. But the question is, how do you use your money? Right? Are you contributing to the needs of the saints? Do you see someone in need in the church and go, hey, they didn't bring it to my attention, not my problem. How are you contributing to the needs of the saints? Because continue on in, in Timothy, it says this. The reason why you contribute your money to them. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. So that we may take hold of what is truly life. A rich person understands, I invest my money because I'm going to get a return. A Christian understands, I, I give my money freely because I'm getting a return, right? My treasure is undestroyable. It's untouchable. It does not perish. It's in Christ. And so when we think of contributing to the needs of the saints, 
One of your motivations is because you understand there is a treasure to be gained that goes far beyond just investment dollars and increasing your portfolio. It goes into that which is truly life eternal. So contribute to the needs of the saints, storing up treasure for themselves, and seek to show hospitality. Now we use hospitality within the church and it is a good word to use within the church. But this hospitality is particularly speaking about the stranger, right? Those who are outside of our church body, those we don't know. Um, those could be a coworker. It could be somebody traveling through, right? Certainly in the context of the Old, or excuse me, the New Testament, uh, these were people that were traveling through, right? They would open their house up to them, let them stay as they were on their way, and make their home a sanctuary to those in need. And so we want to remind ourselves that hospitality is a supernatural event based on everything we've read, but also the way that the Bible talks about it. Hebrews 13, if you want to flip a little bit over with me. We're going to start in 13. Oops. Excuse me, 13, 1. I have my notes off. I have the right verse, but I'm going to read it for us. It's in Hebrews, I promise you. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. When you give bread, when you give clothing, when you care for that person who is outside of your brotherly love, outside of your family, you are doing a supernatural event. Doesn't mean you're always entertaining angels. Let me clarify that. But it means that there is something powerful in the way you break bread with other people. The way you open your house to the outsider, to those who you have no common grace with, who you have no fellowship with. We're called to open our arms to those people. We want to put ourselves in a place where we are comfortable beyond our normal people groups. Jesus speaking in Luke 14 says, he's at a banquet, he speaks to the host. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your rich relatives or neighbors, lest they also invite you and return you to be repaid. Are you a person that's constantly looking to be repaid? Careful, right? Be careful when you think about hospitality. Don't be someone who's looking to honestly be paid. I bought you lunch, you better buy me lunch next time. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's a cliche saying, but it's a, such a true saying. You may be the only gospel that someone ever reads or sees. How do you reach out to those you work with? How do you reach out to those that are not within your like, that put you out of your comfort zone? Think about the people in your life. I'm not even asking you to go and find people under the tunnels and bring them in. I'm saying there's people in your workspace, there's people in your neighborhood that you really just have some, not issues, but you have some discomfort with. How are you investing the gospel in them? How are you blessing those around you with hospitality? And again, we see that, right? Jesus is saying, for you will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. There's a treasure to be had by reaching out in hospitality. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These are your family obligations. If we embrace these obligations, if we seek to have brotherly love with one another, thankfulness in our church will abound. Grace will abound. Love will abound. People who walk in will see and be convinced and convicted by the love and the thanksgiving that they see within our midst.